at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly Scholar Newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights show on education and the New Heights educational group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor as we are no longer sponsored by Silicon Valley High School. This show is pre-recorded. Today I will continue the show with another influential abolitionist, David Walker, but first, I will tell you what an abolitionist is and a little about the movement. Taken from Wikipedia, Abolitionism in the United States. In the United States, abolitionism, the movement that sought to end slavery in the country, was active from the late colonial era until the American Civil War, the end of which brought about the abolition of American slavery through the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, ratified 1865. The anti-slavery movement originated during the Age of Enlightenment, focused on ending the transatlantic slave trade. In colonial America, a few German Quakers issued the 1688 Germantown Quaker Petition Against Slavery, which marks the beginning of the American abolitionist movement. Before the Revolutionary War, evangelical colonists were the primary advocates for the opposition to slavery and the slave trade, doing so on humanitarian grounds. James Oglethorpe, the founder of the colony of Georgia originally tried to prohibit slavery upon its founding, a, deci a decision that was eventually reversed. Now, I will talk about David Walker, his life, as well as the actions he took to end slavery. Taken from Wikipedia, David Walker, abolitionist. David Walker, September the 28th, 1796 to August the 6th, 1830 was an American abolitionist, writer, and anti-slavery activist. Though his father was enslaved, his mother was free, therefore he was free as well. Partus sequitur ventrum. In 1829, while living in Boston, Massachusetts, with the assistance of the African Grand Lodge, later named Prince Hall Grand Lodge, 
jurisdiction of Massachusetts, he published an appeal to the colored citizens of the world, a call for black unity and a fight against slavery. The appeal brought attention to the abuses and equities of slavery and the responsibility of individuals to act according to religious and political principles. At the time, some people were aghast and fearful of the reaction that the pamphlet would provoke. Southern citizens were particularly upset with Walker's viewpoints, and as a result, there were laws banning circulation of seditious publications, and North Carolina's legislature enacted the most repressive measures ever passed in North Carolina to control slaves and free blacks. His son, Edward G. Walker, was an attorney and in 1866 was one of the first two black men elected to the Massachusetts State Legislature. Though the year of his birth is debated by historians, Walker was born in Wilmington, North Carolina. His mother was free. His father, who had died before his birth, had been enslaved. Since American law embraced the principle of partus sequitur ventrum, literally, that which is brought forth follows the womb, Walker inherited his mother's status as a free person. Walker found the oppression of fellow blacks unbearable. If I remain in this bloody land, he later recalled thinking, I will not live long. I cannot remain where I must hear slaves' chains continually and where I must encounter the insults of the hypocritical enslavers. Consequently, as a young adult, he moved to Charleston, South Carolina, a mecca for upwardly mobile free blacks. He became affiliated with a strong African Methodist Episcopal Church, AME Church, community of activists, members of the first black denomination in the United States. He later visited and likely lived in Philadelphia, a shipbuilding center and location of an active black community where the AME Church was founded. Walker settled in Boston by 1825. Slavery had been abolished in Massachusetts after the American Revolutionary War. He married February 23, 1826, Eliza Butler, the daughter of Jonas Butler. Her family was, a, was an established black family in Boston. Their children were Lydia Ann Walker, who died July 31, 1830, of lung fever at the age of one year and nine months in Boston, and Edward G. Walker, 1831 to 1910. He started a used clothing store in the city market. He next owned a clothing store on Brattle Street near the wharfs. There were three used clothing merchants, including Walker, who went to trial in 1828 for selling stolen property. The results are unknown. He aided runaway slaves and helped the poor and needy. Walker took part in civic and religious organizations in Boston. He was involved with Prince Hall Freemason, Freemasonry, an organization founded in, the 18, founded in the 1780s that stood up against discriminatory treatment of blacks, became a founder of the Massachusetts General Colored Association, which opposed colonization of free American blacks to Africa and was a member of Reverend Samuel Snowden's Methodist Church. 
Walker also spoke publicly against slavery and racism. Thomas Dalton and Walker oversaw the publication of John T. Hilton's An Address, delivered before the African Grand Lodge of Boston, number 459, June 24, 1828, by John T. Hilton, on the annual festival of St. John the Baptist, Boston, 1828. Although they were not free from racist hostility and discrimination, black families in Boston lived in relatively benign conditions in the 1820s. The level of black competency and activism in Boston was particularly high, as historian Peter Hinks documents. The growth of black enclaves in various cities and towns was inseparable from the development of an educated and socially involved local black leadership. By the end of 1828, Walker had become Boston's leading spokesman against slavery. Walker served as a Boston subscription sales agent and a writer for New York City's short-lived but influential Freedom's Journal, 1827 to 1829, the first newspaper owned and operated by African Americans. In September 1829, Walker published his appeal to African Americans entitled Walker's Appeal in four articles together with a preamble to the colored citizens of the world but in particular and very expressly to those of the United States of America written in Boston, State of Massachusetts, September the 28th, 1829. The first edition is quite rare, a second and then a third edition appeared in 1830. Walker's second edition of 1830 expressed his views even more strongly than the first edition. Walker appealed to his readers to take an active role in fighting their oppression regardless of the risk and to press white Americans to realize that slavery was morally and religiously repugnant. The appeal was semi-forgotten. By 1848, a great deal of other abolitionist writing much inspired by Walker had appeared in those 18 years. It received a new life with its reprinting in 1848 by the black minister Henry Highland Garnet, who in another 17 years would be the first African-American ever to address the U.S. Congress. Garnet included the first biography of Walker and a similarly themed speech of his own, his address to the slaves of the United States of America, which was perceived as so radical that it was rejected for publication when delivered in 1843. The most influential white abolitionist, John Brown, played a role in getting the volume of Garnet printed. Walker challenged the racism of the early 19th century. He specifically targeted groups such as the American Colonization Society, which sought to deport all free and freed blacks from the United States to a colony in Africa. This was how Liberia was established. He wrote against published assertions of black inferiority by the late President Thomas Jefferson, who died three years before Walker's pamphlet was published. As Walker explained, I say that unless we refute Mr. Jefferson's arguments respecting us, we will only establish them. He rejected the white assumption in the United States that dark skin was a sign of inferiority 
and less lesser humanity. He challenged critics to show him a page of history, either sacred or profane, on which a verse can be found, which maintains that the Egyptians heaped the insupportable insult upon the children of Israel by telling them that they were not of the human family, referring to the period when they were enslaved in Egypt. By the 1820s and 30s, individuals and groups had emerged with degrees of commitment to equal rights for black men and women, but no national anti-slavery movement existed at the time. Walker's appeal was published. As historian Herbert Apather wrote, to be an abolitionist was not for the faint-hearted. The slaveholders represented for the first half of the 19th century the most closely knit and most important single economic unit in the nation. Their millions of bondsmen and millions of acres of land comprising an investment of billions of dollars, this economic might have had its counterpart in political power, given its possessors dominance within the nation and predominance within the South. Apather was referring to the provision in the Constitution that counted three-fifths of the slave population towards the total of any state for purposes of apportionment of congressional seats and the electoral college. This gave the white voters in the South power in electoral office much greater than their numbers represented. Neither slaves nor free blacks could vote. It resulted in Southern politicians having enormous power and to the election of Southerners as president. The appeal described the pernicious effects of both slavery and the subservience of and discrimination against free blacks. Those outside of slavery were said to need special regulation because they could not be relied on to regulate themselves because they might overstep the boundaries society had placed around them. In his appeal, Walker implored the black community to take action against slavery and discrimination. What gives unity to Walker's polemic? Historian Paul Goodman has argued, is the argument for racial equality an active part to be taken by black people in achieving it. Literary scholar Chris Apap has echoed these sentiments. The appeal Apap has asserted rejected the notion that the black community should do nothing more than pray for its liberation. Apap has drawn particular attention to a passage of the appeal in which Walker encourages blacks to never make an attempt to gain freedom or natural right from under our cruel oppressors and murderers until you see your ways clear. When that hour arrives and you move, be not afraid or dismayed. Apap has interpreted Walker's words as a play on the biblical injunction to be not afraid or dismayed. As he points out, be not afraid or dismayed is a direct quote from two from two chronicles twenty dot fifteen where the Israelites are, are told to not be afraid or dismayed because God would fight the battle for them and save them from their enemies without their having to lift a finger in the Bible. All the Israelites are expected to do is pray, but Walker asserts that the black community must move. Apap insists that in prompting his readers to move. Walker rejected the notion that the blacks should sit idly by 
and wait for God to fight their battles. They must, and implicit in Walker's language is the assumption that they will take action and move to claim what is rightfully morally theirs. We, colored people of these United States, are the most degraded, wretched, and abject set of beings that ever lived since the world began. And I pray God that none like us ever may live until time shall be no more. They tell us of the Israelites in Egypt, the Helots in Sparta, and of the Roman slaves, whose sufferings under those ancient and heathen nations were in comparison with ours. Under this enlightened and Christian nation no more than a cipher, or in other words, those heathen nations of antiquity had but little more among them than the name and form of slavery, while wretchedness and endless miseries were reserved, apparently in a file, to be poured out upon our fathers, ourselves and our children by Christian Americans. Walker's appeal argued that blacks had to assume responsibility for themselves if they wanted to overcome oppression. According to historian Peter Hinks, Walker believed that the key to the uplift of the race was a zealous commitment to the tenets of individual moral improvement, education, temperance, Protestant religious practice, regular work habits, and self-regulation. America walk our country, then it is the whites. We have enriched it with our blood and tears. Education and religion were especially important to Walker. Black knowledge, he argued, would not only undermine the assertion that blacks were inherently inferior, it would terrify whites. The bare name of educating the colored people, he wrote, scares our cruel oppressors almost to death. Those who were educated, Walker argued, had a special obligation to teach their brethren and literate blacks were urged to read his pamphlet to those who could not. As he explained, it is expected that all colored men, women and children of every nation, language and tongue under heaven, will try to procure a copy of this appeal and read it or get someone to read it to them, for it is designed more particular for them. Regarding religion, Walker excoriated the hypocrisy of pretended preachers of the gospel of my master, who not only held us as their natural inheritance, but treated us with as much rigor as any infidel or diced in the world, just as though they were intent only on taking our blood and groans to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It fell upon blacks, he argued, to reject the notion that the Bible sanctioned slavery and urged whites to repent before God could punish them for their wickedness. As historian Sean Filters has maintained, Walker in his appeal offered a version of Christianity that was purged of racist heresies one which held that God was a God of justice to all his creatures. There is great work for you to do. You have to prove to the Americans and the world that we are men and not brutes. As we have been represented and by millions treated, remember to let the aim of your labors among your brethren, and particularly the youths, be the dissemination of education and religion. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. 
We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store, back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on the abolitionist David Walker will continue. Walker distributed his pamphlet through black communication networks along the Atlantic coast which included free and enslaved black civil rights activists, laborers, black church and revivalist networks, contacts with free black benevolent societies and maroon communities. Southern officials worked to prevent the appeal from reaching its residents. Blacks in Charleston and New Orleans were arrested for distributing the pamphlet while authorities in Savannah, Georgia instituted a ban on the disembarkation of black seamen. Negro Seamen Act. This was because southern governmental entities, particular in port cities, were concerned about the arrival and dissemination of information that they wanted to keep from black people both free and enslaved. Various southern governmental bodies labeled the appeal seditious and imposed harsh penalties on those who circulated it. Despite such efforts, Walker's pamphlet has circulated widely by early 1830. Having failed to contain the appeal, Southern officials criticized both the pamphlet and its author. Newspapers like the Richmond Enquirer railed against what it called Walker's monstrous slander of the region. Outrage over the appeal even led Georgia to announce an award of $10,000 to anyone who could hand over Walker alive and a thousand dollars if dead. Walker's appeal did not gain the favor of most abolitionists or free blacks because its message was considered too radical. That said, a handful of white anti-slavery advocates were radicalized by the pamphlet. The Boston Evening Transcript noted in 1830 that some blacks regarded the appeal as if it were a star in the East, guiding them to freedom and emancipation. White Southerners' fears about a black-led challenge to slavery, fears the appeal stoked, came to pass just a year later in the Nat Turner Rebellion, which inspired them to adopt harsher laws in an attempt to subdue and control slaves and free blacks. William Lord Garrison, one of the most influential American abolitionists, began publishing The Liberator in January 1831, not long after the appeal was published. Garrison, who believed slave owners would be punished by God, 
rejected the violence Walker advocated by, but recognized that slave owners were courting disaster by refusing to free their slaves. Every sentence that they write, every word that they speak, every resistance that they make against foreign oppression is a call upon their slaves to destroy them, Garrison wrote. Walker's appeal and the slave rebellion led by Nat Turner in Virginia in 1831 struck fear into the hearts of slave owners, though there is no evidence to, to suggest that the appeal specifically informed or inspired Turner, it could have, since the two events were just a few years apart. Whites were panicked about the possibility of future insurrections. Southern states passed laws restricting free blacks and slaves. Many white people in Virginia and neighboring North Carolina believed that Turner was inspired by Walker's appeal or other abolitionist literature. Walker influenced Frederick Douglass, Nat Turner, William Lord Garrison, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Echoes of his appeal can be heard, for example, in Douglass's 1852 speech, The Meaning of the Fourth of July for the Negro. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and its crimes against God and a man must be proclaimed and denounced. Historian Herbert Aplether has noted that Walker's appeal is the first sustained written assault upon slavery and racism to come from a black man in the United States. This was the main source of its overwhelming power in its own time. This is the source of the great relevance and enormous impact that remain in it, deep as we are in the 20th century. Never before or since was there a more passionate denunciation of the hypocrisy of the nation as a whole. Democratic and fraternal and equilibrium and all the other words. And Walker does this not as one who hates the country, but rather as one who hates the institutions which disfigure it and make it a hissing in the world. Edward G. Walker, 1830-1901, to 1901, son of David Walker. Just five years after he arrived in Boston, Walker died in the summer of 1830. Though rumors suggested that he had been poisoned, most historians believe he died a natural death from tuberculosis as listed in his death record. The disease was prevalent and Walker's only daughter, Lydia Ann had died from it the week before Walker himself died. Walker was buried in a South, in a South Boston Cemetery for Blacks. His, probably, his probable grave site remains unmarked. When Walker died, his wife was unable to keep up the annual payments to George Parkman for the purchase of the house. She subsequently lost their home and eventually Walker himself had in a sense predicted in his appeal. But I must really observe that in this very city, when a man of color dies, if he owned any real estate, it most generally falls into the hands of some white persons. The wife and children of the deceased may weep and lament if they please, 
but the estate will be kept snug enough of its white possessor. His son, Edward G. Walker, also known as Edward G. Walker, was born after Walker's death and in 1866 would become the first black elected to the Massachusetts state legislature. As noted from the numerous sources, historians consider David Walker a major abolitionist and inspirational figure in American history. The Library of Congress had an exhibit, Free Blacks in the Antebellum Period, which noted Walker's significance along with that of other key black abolitionists, free people of color like Richard Allen, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, David Walker and Prince Hall earned national reputation for themselves by writing, speaking, organizing and agitating on behalf of their enslaved compatriots. The National Park Service has walking tours developed for the Boston African American National Historic Site, including the Black Beacon Hill community. The comprehensive narratives include discussion of David Walker, who was integral to the black neighborhood and city activists. This is the conclusion of the show. You can reach me by email, Barbara B at newheightseducation.org. Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org as I discuss the history of civil rights. Also join Olenian Tabit's pre-recorded radio show, which airs by Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows, which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer.